0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Temple of the False Pod, where our decks are not optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. I'm Andy. I'm Bruce. And, uh, that's the beginning of our show.
1: Uh. We are bringing the heat right off. See? So hot that the horns outside Andy's house are hammering away.
0: Oh my god. Um. And, uh, that... Sometimes you just get off to a fast start and uh, that can be an issue for some people to uh, go to. ah, hmm. (laughs) Uh, We wanted to talk today about uh, just that actually, Uh, getting off to a quick start and how that can be detrimental even though it can seem beneficial. And the optics, I guess, of it all. The optics of getting off to a good start uh, is not necessarily a good start.
1: Right, right. we hear so many times how the whole point of ramp is so that you can get off to a quick start. So you can get up, get your mana up quickly. So you can immediately start playing the spells that really matter in the game. And that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm the difficulty is you have to be paying attention to what everybody is doing so uh so you are not creating a situation where suddenly you are the clear and obvious leader
0: right like you like you always hear like oh the most dangerous player is the one who had the turn one soul ring right um you know, add turn one soul ring into signet or whatever, and you know you're off to a turn two with five mana. Um, like that is that is clearly threatening, uh, and with that comes the responsibility of needing to protect yourself because uh, everyone is after you, generally.
1: In, in a lot of Magic games. Now, I'm, I'm not going to say all of them because there are times when an explosive start... And I'm not just talking about ramp here. I'm talking about everything. Where, uh, you know, your opening hand basically lays out the first three turns for you and they're going to be amazing. And you hit that third turn. You're dropping a, your six mana commander on turn three. And... <laughs> your deck is clearly going full throttle at this point and this is kind of what what so many people are aiming for they want that that the amazing start you, you want to get out of the gates fast and go 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 and i get that we have been pummeled with the idea that that is the best play for so long now and yeah and there are times when it is, in fact, the best play. It's especially the best play when you've got another opponent out who's doing the exact same thing. <laughs> so if you're with a group and that is the standard, that's the expectation, well, that's fine. But if you're with a group where, you know, that six mana commander on turn three, and then you go around the board and everybody is then playing either their third land and a signet or they or maybe they're lucky enough that on turn three uh, they're then they're then playing uh, a cultivate you know they are not anywhere near your power level
0: right and I think too with that kind of comes this idea that like in in a vacuum it's the best play you know not considering literally the rest of the board. you're taking into consideration. Twenty five percent of the game, yeah, it's the best play to do that. Like, absolutely, do it.
1: Right. Um, We're not playing in a vacuum. We're playing right. in a game of Magic. <laughs> they are very um, different things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um,
0: and I think, like, I think getting a turn three six cost commander out is um, very much staking your claim as I am ready to go. And sometimes it's hard to back that up because, you know, if you get your six mana commander out, you're crossing your fingers for the rest of the round that you get to untap uh, so that you can protect it. Um, granted, you might have gotten turn two
1: Greaves out or whatever. Um, it's Essentially, we're. What, what, I mean, this is less about the turn three commander and more about the idea that you've had a blazing start. You are now in front. Yeah. The difficulty with being in front that early in the game is every single thing that happens now for at least the next three, four turns is going to be done under this whole vision of how do we deal with that person? Right. You know, every single card I draw, you know, it stops being about making my deck run at optimal speed and starts being do i have an answer for what they're doing
0: and right. now you're 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 painting a target on yourself but more than that you're
1: halting everyone
0: else's game so that they can focus on you
1: well um more than that you now have to deal with the full power of those three other players <laughs> now maybe all three of them are just you know we're at the point where they just have three lands or maybe a fourth land or three lands and a signet or you know they've got a couple of lands and a creature they're they're not in a real position to be of a threat to you well that's the reason you're there but it doesn't mean that from then on in you know that they can't do anything and the longer it takes for you to take that position and and take them out completely they are outdrawing you they are going to produce more mana than you every single action that they do is going to be just against you in a normal game when everybody is relatively equal if I'm looking at the board and saying okay I want to attack somebody who do I attack well if everybody's relatively equal I look around the board and I say okay well I try and find a reason to attack one person and then look at their board state and decide if I can Well, because everything's relatively equal, I probably can't swing. In the other state where somebody has jumped out to this massive lead, if I'm sitting there with two creatures, I look at their board state and say, What are they going to do back to me? And I don't care what the other two could do to me because they're not going to do anything to me. They're looking to help me. You know, it's (laughs) the three of us are now facing that one person. So I don't have to worry about three attack steps, I just have to worry about one. So it means, okay, so I have two creatures, I need to keep one of them back to protect myself against getting hammered by you. Fine, but that one creature is going to go after you. Whereas if you hadn't gotten off to such an amazing start, maybe it wouldn't go after anybody, maybe it would just sit, so you wouldn't have to face that that attack. You wouldn't have to expend cards and mana to try and stop that attack, or stop the you know whatever it is that I'm doing, whether it's attack or dest- or destroying one of your one of your artifacts or destroying your creature as opposed to somebody else's. Everything gets focused on you when you're leading by a big margin like that.
0: I think that that perfectly you know encapsulates this idea that like uh let me posit this question for you bruce yeah uh there's four people playing a game uh what place do you want to see yourself as through the beginning to mid
1: game it's interesting because i have always looked at this and said and this is this comes from a position where uh I always had fewer cards than my, than my opponents when I played early on. And my decks were never as strong. So for mm-hmm. me to get out to the lead, it meant I was using up uh, a ton of the cards, that the good cards that I had to get me there. Um, so I never wanted to be out front. Because it also meant that they were all then coming after me. And I certainly couldn't fight that off. <laughs> right. So my goal was to always be second. Try and sit below the leader, but not too far down. Like, I mean, I don't, you know... You don't want to actively be in last place. You don't want that. No. So I always thought, second place. This is where I want to be. Now, I've since changed that attitude. And that's (laughs) a lot because of what you have said.
0: So when I I started playing Magic, Bruce, you uh, brought this idea to me where, like, you don't necessarily want to be out front I mean like we've talked about it for the past 10 minutes Mm -hmm. Um, and I have thought on it more and like the idea of being in second um, you're the first person that the strongest player is looking at uh, because once you're gone the other two will be a piece of cake hopefully Um, and I've always I've thought on that and kind of come to this idea that Maybe third is kind of where you want to sit for a majority of the game because nobody's really looking at you uh, and nobody's really, like, delegitimizing your threat um, if you're, you know, in fourth. Um, right, you're not, and you're, not like, too, you're not too far behind, but uh, you're not seen as a direct threat right. um, to any one player. And kind of with that... Um, you have this bargaining chip to go after the person in first, the person in second. Um, You can make a deal with whoever's in first to help take out the person in second um, or vice versa. Um, And uh, when you approach the mid to late game, it becomes clearer what you have in hand, what is at your disposal, going into endgame um, because you'll continue to draw and feel more comfortable holding things back as a person in third uh, and I think it's so interesting because um, I haven't th- I mean like as much as I've thought about this I didn't really consciously take it into consideration when building my decks but it kind of just happened that way you look at my how my Tesa deck started and it was a lot of like I mean, I had 30 lands. I, I wanted to be towards the back of the room. I didn't want people looking at me until it was too late. Right. Uh,
1: there is nothing wrong with a wall of blossoms on turn 2 Mm-hmm. I mean, you get to draw another card. You've got an 0-4 creature. That sucker yeah. is deterrent. Nobody wants to waste waste an attack into an 0-4 where it's not going to do anything. And on top of that, it has Defender. So you're not threatening anybody else. (laughs) All, All that happened here was you played a creature that can now stop you from taking small bits of damage. And you got to draw a card. You're not in the driver's seat. You're not the most powerful player on the board. But you did draw a card. And you are saving yourself, probably five to seven points of damage, just incidental damage from random, you know, creature or from you know some player who sees, oh, you don't have anything to block, so I'll just swing at you. <laughs> so you know these little things that that can go there. That's what I mean. You don't want to be last, yeah. but at the same time, you you just don't want you don't want to go crazy right at the start now
0: yeah I think I, I think with being last uh, is this idea that like you don't have a choice of being last um, yeah you're
1: because, last because you are you're last because you're not out. drawing
0: lands you're right. last because you're not drawing spells yeah. uh, this that or the other thing uh, being third is like solidly like contemplating what's in your hand thinking about how playing X would uh seem to the rest of the board um and you know all of this to say uh it's not like we're saying oh be third going into mid-game um so that you can win better it's just so that you can play more
1: right well early on in the game these these in the in the early part of the game it is far easier to, to, to determine who the leader is. Yeah. Especially when it becomes, especially when somebody has one of these great starts. It's obvious who the leader is. As the game progresses into the mid game, into the late game, it gets harder and harder to determine who the leader is because quite often, or, or you're not looking at the leader, you're looking at who's the biggest threat to you. And the biggest threat to you may not be the biggest threat to somebody else. Um, you know, if I have a way to you know, if I have a way to fog your your attack every single turn, <laughs> then the guy who's a threat to me is the combo player, who can who you know, or the guy who's got creatures that can do damage without you know while not in combat. Um, that's the threat. Now, for the person who's got a wall of creatures the guy who can do some points of damage with his creatures while not in combat he's not the threat the threat is the guy who's doing the fog every turn cuz you can't get around him so it you know as the game progresses how you d- your threat assessment becomes dependent on your board state dependent on everything else it gets harder and harder to determine who is the ov- who is the leader now there are some games where that does happen and it's still obvious so you keep that in mind but Um, we're, you know, the focus here is really on the early turns and whether it's worth it to be jumping out and being out front. And I'm saying that uh, the the cost, the material cost to you is much higher when you do it early in the game because now everybody's focus, everybody's focus comes after you and you now have to use up even more of your uh, of your mana of your cards of of your you know your options
0: right just like we're playing just a whole yeah position. we're playing a hundred card singleton format like this uh, this idea that you will always have an answer is a fallacy um, and so if you are off to an explosive start and you have the answers to the questions that people are giving you then great but that is highly unlikely um right generally um now whether it's counters or removal for their own
1: like whatever i don't yeah. know now to be fair i just want to make this clear we are a casual podcast i am not <laughs> saying that if you have you know, the most amazing hand going, and you are like, uh, okay, this has got to happen. Then yeah, go for it. I, you know, if that's why you're playing the game, you know, <laughs> if you're just like, okay, here we are, take me down. Then you know what? Go to town. Go for it. If that's how you, if that's how you want to play it, then you're welcome to. I'm just saying that if you want to win a few extra games keep in mind how you're starting because you're burning resources by being out front just because you're out front if you were not the dominant the dominant player at the start of the game the resources that you're now throwing away would not be something you'd have to throw away so
0: yeah um, it's funny cuz like i think um I think, you know, the the turn three, six mana commander is is poignant because, I mean, even yeah. up to last week, for example, I played a game uh, with my new Mimeoplasm deck. I got, I think, Mimeoplasm out on turn three. It's a Five mana commander. Yeah. I had, like, turn two soul ring into a signet. I was like, yeah. And then turn three came. And I had finally got to, like, dump some things in the graveyard through whatever. I don't remember how I discarded them. And Mimeoplasm came in uh, as a copy of Thassa, uh, the new one, um, with 12, eric- <laughs> 12 counters on it from Uh, So she was, I don't know, like a 17, 17 or 18 something. Mm-hmm. Um And then she sat there because I didn't have devotion to blue. I didn't have anything to blink. Uh, (laughs) You know, um, having these explosive plays doesn't guarantee any sort of production. But then I also sat there and drew land after land after land for the next four turns. So uh, I seemed like a threat for that first turn uh, that I got that out. And then immediately it all fell apart. Um, so, like, had my opponents not seen that I was starting to flood, then uh, <laughs> then I would have had a big problem on my hands because I couldn't block with Dasa, And I had nothing else on board.
1: Right. Um, it was... Yeah. You made a comment earlier, the idea of, you know, building your deck in such a way so that you're not, like, blasting out of the gates at the start.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and uh, that's, that's how I used to build my decks because those were the cards that I had. Right. Um, you know, I had so many powerful cards, and then I had to fill the deck with cards that were less powerful. So quite often, the best play that I had with the cards that I had in hand was that mid-range, was that middle-of-the-road play where I'm not really a threat, but I'm getting just enough out there to discourage people from coming my way. <laughs> yeah. Now that I can build... you know, Now that that's not an issue for me... And I can build any... Build up... I regularly build decks... That are a lot more powerful than that. That can have those amazing turns... More, way more often. Yeah. And But then... When I get the chance to do it... A lot of times you just sort of look at the board and say... Hmm... This is not the right board, not the right time <laughs> to do this. I'm going to get yeah. I'm going to get clobbered. If I, you know, if I'm the green player and I've got you know, exploration, cultivate Kodama's Reach in my opening hand along with three lands. You know, yes, I could try and play all that out as fast as possible and get get as far out in front as I can but sometimes that's not the right play there are plenty of times when you just play the land sure play your cultivate and then don't do anything <laughs> hold on to the kodama's reach there's no reason to play it it's going to get you that extra land out but all that's going to do is make, you in, is make you into the target make you into this big leader wait until somebody else plays, a, plays something big out it's like okay, now I can play out my Kudama's reach because nobody cares. Nobody's going to care that the green player has one more land out and another land in their hand. It's like, who cares? It's irrelevant at this point. We've got bigger fish to fry over in this corner of the board. So just, <laughs> and what did it cost me? It cost me nothing. All it cost me was I looked around the board and said, "Don't do both in one turn," mm. because then it then it like somehow it looks like you're going off. You know the same. The same could be said about playing. You know, playing any two spells in a turn. You know, bam, bam. You just you hit one, you follow up with the other, and it's just this one-two punch. And suddenly, it's like, wow, what is he doing over there? Things are going crazy. Like, they're not going crazy. Instead, you know, you play the one spell, wait, wait through the next person's turn, and then that instant that you played on your turn, then you play it on their turn. Now it doesn't look like you really did much of anything you know so yeah so you're trying you know so you're trying to hide it trying to to sort of blend you want to blend in a little better than you would if you just blast it out blast it out at the start of the turn
0: yeah so. it's interesting because i think like it, like even though i mentioned uh, you know i inadvertently build decks this certain way to kind of always be a step behind everyone um i'm over the past year that we've been you know in quarantine i uh i think that my deck building has like improved more than the previous three years um which is great uh but it also just means that my decks are a little bit more powerful than they used to be um and i have to deal with this idea that like uh i'm going to be seen as a threat and that's okay (laughs) um But I think it it has lent me to this discovery that I need to practice holding it back. Practice not doing the thing that seems so obvious to do uh, because it can be seen as uh, threatening uh, and the eyes will follow. You will probably... Uh, make it further in the game more often uh, thinking twice about it Uh, and whether you do it or not still is i mean up to that judgment but um let's quickly take a break um we'll be right back with some more talking about early game shenanigans Um, but first here's a word from our sponsor
1: symbol false pod is brought to you by wall of blossoms because sometimes you just need to slow down and smell the flowers now back to you so Andy I think for this for this part of the show I wanted to talk about just um some cards that that we like to see on some of the early turns Mm -hmm. Now, this is not a best of list. This is not, this is not, uh, you, you must play this card. These are cards that are solid in the early going, but they aren't going to then proceed to scare the crap out of your opponents and lead them to come charging after you. These are, these are, these are solid cards that are good plays in the early game, which... Can be which which will become either much better later on, or at least you know give you that protection now. These- it's
0: funny that you say that because like like that so succinctly describes the cards that I chose because most of the cards I chose are white, so they're like right. you know not threatening. They're kind of lame. Yeah. Uh, they're good ish. Uh, <laughs> they're white. Yeah. Um, I, I'm
1: a... At- I'm essentially talking about cards like Wall of Blossoms. it's it's unass- this unassuming card that does way more work than you think it's doing. And you know that's that's the sort of thing I love.
0: Yeah. so and like even for like say turn one plays, uh, some of the the greatest turn one plays that I've had that are so unassuming but like still like a little annoying yeah uh, to some people. Uh we've got things like uh soul attendant, soul attendant, yep. soul warden. You know, you get it out there, you start gaining life. Incrementally, of course, but uh it's pretty great. And then you can, you know, follow that up with a turn two. Uh a Johnny's Pride Mate. Um Right. Start well, getting bigger creatures. Yeah. I mean uh, the
1: idea, especially in the early turns, cards like that. Are going to gain you life as players put car- put creatures on the battlefield. Yeah, but at the same time, it's not like you're playing it on turn five with the threat that if this card is still here on my next turn, I'm going to play an X spell and drop you know <laughs> how I'm, uh, drop a ton of token creatures, right? So then and then gain you know a ton of life. So it doesn't have that huge uber threat hanging over it. This you know. A card like that, it's going to gain you six or seven life, and then generally that's sort of the end of it.
0: And you got a blocker up um...
1: exactly, so that when it comes time, yeah, okay, fine, I'll chump it. You know what? It already gained me 15 life or 10 life or whatever. You know, it did what it served its purpose in the early game, and now it's a chump blocker, and you're golden.
0: Um, it's it's funny because uh, also kind of along the same lines turn one white play that gets you life when opponents play creatures uh, is authority of the consoles granted this is a bit more annoying um, authority of the consoles is one white enchantment uh, which is kind of why I was looking at it which I'll talk about in a second but uh, it says uh, creatures your opponents play come in tapped when your opponent or when an opponent enters the battlefield under your creature's control you gain one life that's it right now you know you're playing against somebody who has a deck full of haste they're going to be pretty pissed off because they i mean now essentially all those creatures don't have haste and nobody has any blockers up um this card obviously does better a little later in the game um but uh it kind of led me into the idea of of early enchantments that just kind of sit there and either people get annoyed by or don't pay attention to um but uh i I, it it led to this really interesting idea that um getting your utility enchantments out whether it's this dawn of hope uh which when yeah. you
1: gain life you pay to draw cards um well in uh, one of our one of our previous uh temple of treasure episodes or temples treasures temple's treasures one of our previous mm-hmm. temples treasures episodes S- seal of fire yeah one mana enchantment sack it to do two points you get that on a turn one or turn two no one's swinging at you hmm you're just going to take out their creature because that, cause seal, cause seal of Fire can handle anything that's coming out in turn one or turn two. Yeah. So it, it's completely unassuming. It just sits there, prevents a bunch of attacks from other people against you, and then at some point, you people are going to forget about it because it's only two points of damage, and then you're going to get into a combat step where you need either need to do two more points to get rid of some big nasty creature or you need to do two more points because you're blocking some big nasty creature. It, yeah. So it does its job and that's, that's just huge. One of the other early play turns that I like that honestly has been around forever, literally since the start of the game, Birds of Paradise. Mm -hmm. I like Birds of Paradise.
0: Yeah, it's a strictly better Land War Elf.
1: Well, eh, 0-1 flyer. 0-1, so it it can't attack, it can't do damage, which is kind of a downside, because it means that anybody with a 1-1 may very well swing at you in the hopes that you actually block. (laughs) Uh, I mean, everybody knows that that bird is not going to block a 1-1. However, later on, when it's a 5-5 coming your way, that birds is going to step in front. Oh yes. Um, but in the meantime, you're tapping for for mana, whether it's of any of color. any color. So you know, but even if it only needs to be green, there's nothing you know. Birds of Paradise offers that up, and I I love that about this card. It is just a, um, it's an it's another unassuming play because just because it is a zero one bird. Uh, you know you're not gonna fly over and do a point of damage to anybody it's just sitting there to tap for mana (laughs) so you know i love that
0: kind of go uh with the turn one plays um this is a card that i had out on a turn one play recently that um i was surprised to see it get removed on like turn four uh but it's tortured existence uh popper all-star um it's one one black a single black uh enchantment for one black and choose and discard a creature card which i guess it just is now discard a creature card uh return target creature card from your graveyard to her hand yeah which like yes valuable it's a good card um especially for one black uh and i mean it's a very cheap activated ability Um, But getting this out on turn one, I quite enjoy getting this out early because it kind of gives you options, especially if people start making you discard, if you, you know, fill your hand up and you have to discard anyway, or uh, things start dying. Uh, You know, the chances of your creatures dying in this enchantment not, pretty high, uh, until somebody targets it and takes it out.
1: Right. One of the other early turn... Cards that I like, Mm -hmm. Um, and in the end, it actually works out to be a fairly good card, even in the late game. um, Is a little card from Mirage. It's a one-one creature, and it's called Dream Fighter. Now, Dream Fighter, Dream Fighter. For most of you, this is going to be a brand new card, something you've never heard of, Um, (laughs) and when you read it, it's probably not going to help much. Because you're still not going to know what the heck it's talking about. So Dream Fighter says... It's for two and a blue. It's a a human soldier. It says whenever Dream Fighter blocks or becomes blocked by a creature... Dream Fighter and that creature phase out. Now what phase out means is that when they phase out... They're treated as though they don't exist. And each of those cards phase in... Before its controller's untap steps, if I have so your
0: creature phases in before theirs. <laughs> so, I, yeah,
1: exactly. So, if I have Dream Fighter, and Andy's got a five-five creature. Now Andy swings in with the five-five. I block with the Dream Fighter. Now, the Dream Fighter is now blocking. We don't wait for the combat damage. At that point, they phase out. So Andy's creature doesn't do any damage to me, doesn't do any damage to the Dream Fighter, and it's gone. So even if it was a 5-5 with Vigilance, a 5-5 with Trample and Vigilance, it doesn't matter. Because as soon as it's blocked, boom, it's gone and it's phased out. Now, because it's phased out, I get my Dream Fighter back before Andy gets his creature back because he attacked me with it. It's his turn. So he's not going to get it back until everybody else gets a turn. Which means not only me, but the other two players now get to take a shot at Andy. Because he doesn't have his 5-5 handy. (laughs) So, and then on my turn, I get the Dream Fighter back before the untap. So it comes back and even if it was tapped, it's untapped now. And it's ready to do it again to the next creature. Obviously, the Dream Fighter doesn't fly, so Flyer, you know, it it can't help you with the Flyers. But it blocks anything on the ground. Death Touch, not a problem. Uh, First Strike, not a problem, because they block, and then you go to First Strike. It's gone before we get to First Strike.
0: That's amazing. Obviously, uh, they're going to see this coming, and they're just not going to attack you.
1: Exactly. But. They're not going to attack you. They're going to they're uh, Yeah, just... that's that's big on, that's big on its own. So, all by itself, essentially it's a creature that says your best creature is not going to be there for the rest of the round. Are you prepared <laughs> um, to swing?
0: Question yeah. just because I have had such few small small experience. Few experience, little experience. Little experience. Since I've had such little experience with phasing, uh does that when they phase back in does it trigger like is it a new creature
1: no so
0: okay so you don't get etb triggers and they're not summoning sick
1: phasing has gone through some weird changes and at one point when a creature phased out the um enter the battlefield triggers didn't work but when it phased out leaving the battlefield triggers did kick in so it was very weird that way, but they have since changed it. You don't get enter the battlefield triggers or leave the battlefield triggers. Interesting. It's just gone. It doesn't enter or leave. It just it's just gone. Um, That's cool. And don't ask me what happens. Like I believe if there's an enchantment or an equip piece of equipment attached, I think to everything's it, the same. It goes yeah. with it, and then it comes back with it still attached. Or I'm a, trying or, to think of
0: like Teferi's protection type. Yeah, like I don't remember players.
1: exactly how that works out, just because I don't play a lot of phasing, so yeah. I just don't remember. But I do, I do know that Dream Fighter does this, and it's just
0: don't take our rule as or don't take our uh, rulings as gospel,
1: kids. Yeah, we're a casual podcast. This is how phasing works. If you're looking for a deeper understanding go talk to a judge um but dream fighter is just wonderful this way because you're not going to swing with this thing and everybody knows it what you're going to attack then they block with anything and they all phase out they don't take any (laughs) damage either and their creature comes back before yours so now this amazing blocker that you had is now gone so you're never attacking with the dream fighter the fact that it's a one one it could be a 10-1. It could be a 0-1. It doesn't matter. It just needs to be alive to block. Uh, mm. you know, so, yeah, I mean, this is... Uh, um, it's it's one of those early cards that's, rather, that's, that's fairly unassuming because it's just not that big a threat to anybody else. It's a protection to you. But... This protection only gets better as the game goes on because the creatures get bigger. That it, the creatures that it stuff get bigger and bigger. So,
0: yeah, I mean even down to like playing, uh, playing your morphs. Yeah. Early, uh, it honestly just it builds your presence on the board, uh, but also kind of builds your hand. Like they're essentially cards that are in your hands that are just on the board um, because it's not uh information for your opponents or it's yeah um and uh you can play them anytime i mean you can flip them over whenever um granted it will it could possibly be seen uh as threatening but generally they're like pretty reactive um so they're not like super overpowered unless you're playing things like animar. Um, right. I'm trying to, I'm trying to find a, like an early game. Brown oof is pretty good. Yeah, It's a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot of snakes that either have like, uh, reach or death touch or both. Um, that are pretty good early game things to kind of help pad out, uh, not getting attacked early game. Um, that's, Uh, that's it. Um, yeah, I think like, you know, if you take away anything from this episode, uh, just know that being in first, the whole game does not guarantee you a win. Um, being in first only, I mean, like, if you're trying to win the game, being in first only matters at the end of the game. Period. Right. Um, and so, as many strategies as there are out there, uh, one that Bruce and I subscribe to <laughs> uh, tends to be uh, don't be... Don't be a target until you need to be, Um, I I think is the simplest way to put it, honestly. Yeah,
1: I'm a big fan of managing your resources and being the target at any point in the game, but especially early on when it's very easy to figure out who, who the target is. Is going to drain on your resources more than it would if you weren't the leader, and it's not going to cost you the game to not be the leader in the early in the in the early game. I mean, if you've got your soul ring for turn one, you go ahead and play it, but just remember, you need to control how you use that for the next few turns. Manage manage the expectations of your opponents. Make sure they understand that, or try and you know you want to build the situation where, where they're not <laughs> seeing you as the threat just because you've got right. twice as much mana as they do you know yeah
0: understand the consequences before you take your actions right. um, but um, I think I think that's kind of about uh, yeah sucking the well dry here um, for this topic for tonight um, so yeah uh, We'll, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. Um, come back next week for another episode of Temple of the False Pod, where our decks are not optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. Thank you so much for coming by and hanging out. Uh, I'm Andy.
1: I'm Bruce. Uh,
0: have a great day, night, whenever you listen to this, and may your fifth land be the temple. Bye. Hey everyone, Andy here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Temple of the False Pod. Just a few housekeeping things here at the end of the show. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, pretty much wherever you can find podcasts. Subscribe and give us a review. It really helps out the show. And it'll show us what you like about our podcast. Uh, Also, we've got a Twitter and an Instagram. Our handle is falsepodmtg, all one word. So be sure to follow us. Feel free to reach out to us there or drop us an email at falsepodmtg at gmail.com and tell us your favorite magic related story. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you again to you and to Bruce. He's Mana Burned on Twitter, and I'm Andy Weekend on Twitter and Twitch. We're Temple of the False Pod, where our decks aren't optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. Have a great night, and may your fifth land be the Temple.